0: Welcome to My American Melting Pot, the podcast for people living multicultural lives. I'm your host, Lori L. Tharps. I'm a black woman married to a Spanish man raising three bilingual, biracial, bicultural children. I'm also a journalist and the author of the book Same Family, Different Colors, confronting colorism in America's diverse families. Some people call me a cultural critic or a pop culture pundit. I call myself a diversity diva. And I'm really glad you're here for another fascinating conversation that meets at the intersection of race and real life. On episode 36 of My American Melting Pot, we're going to be talking about raising our children to be bilingual. What's the best approach to take? When is the right time to start? Do parents have to be bilingual themselves in order to raise children who speak more than one language? To help answer these questions and more, I've invited Manuel Malia to join me here on The Melting Pot. Manuel is a Spanish lecturer at Princeton University and has over 20 years of experience teaching in colleges, high schools, and elementary schools. A native of Spain, he is also pursuing his doctorate in Spanish linguistics with a focus on second language acquisition. The father of three bilingual children, Manuel is also my husband. I'm really excited to dive into this conversation about language learning, parenting, and culture. But before we do, I want to mention that this episode is being sponsored by Booklandia. Booklandia is a monthly subscription service that delivers Spanish and bilingual children's books right to your door. You can find more information about them at booklandiabox.com. Welcome to my American Melting Pot, Manuel.
1: Hello, Lori. How are you?
0: I'm very good. Thank you. So before we get started, I wanted to just tell you guys why I've invited my husband to be my expert guest on the show today. Number one, we are recording in my basement because we are in the middle of a global pandemic. So (laughs) it's kind of hard to bring guests into my basement. So Manuel was the perfect option in that case. Number two... Manuel is not just a convenient guest. He is actually one of the most passionate people I know when it comes to everything there is to know about language learning, language teaching, and empowering parents to believe that they can teach their children another language. And number three, Manuel has been successful at teaching our three children Spanish since they were born. So basically, I know that in addition to all of his academic credentials and theories, he's also experienced the joys and challenges of raising bilingual children. In other words, he can talk the talk and walk the walk. So Before we actually get into the kind of how-tos and what are the best ways to use to raise your children to be bilingual, I wanted to set the stage by pointing out some of the research that shows all of the benefits there are to being bilingual. All of my statistics and facts come from an article that I found in Psychology Today from 2018. And these statistics, again, share some of the benefits that you get from being bilingual. Number one, people who learn another language do significantly better on standardized tests and tend to have high levels of academic success throughout their schooling career. Later in life, they found that bilingual patients were diagnosed with dementia on average three to four years later than their monolingual counterparts. So again, think about that. Learning another language or being bilingual actually staves off brain deterioration and any dementia diseases like Alzheimer's. Number 3, a US study found that high-level bilingualism is associated with extra earnings of about $3,000 a year even after controlling for factors such as educational attainment and parental socioeconomic status. And finally, number 4, the more languages you learn, the easier it becomes to learn other languages. And also, learning a new language strengthens your abilities in your first language. So, a lot of people used to think that learning a language or being bilingual would make you less literate and less able to be functional in your first language, and actually the opposite is true. So now you have all that great background. Hopefully, you're even more excited to raise your children bilingually or you know, really commit to the process and the practice. So Manuel, as we begin this conversation, let's start with the basics. Is there an actual official definition of what does it mean to be bilingual?
1: Well, I always uh, thought that being bilingual would be speaking two languages with the same level of fluency. But uh, during my studies towards my doctorate degree, I had a great professor, a very well published and accomplished lady. And I said this to her, we talked about our children and having bilingual children And she made it very clear to us that if you speak another language, even though it's a little bit, to her it counts. So there seems to me that there are degrees within the idea of
0: being bilingual. And I know that some people say, well, my child can speak, but he can't read or write. How do those ideas of speaking, reading, writing, comprehension, like how do those fit into this concept of, do you actually know another language? Are you bilingual, so to
1: speak. Well, based on this professor's uh, definition, it counts if you are able to communicate a little bit, but maybe your reading is not so developed. It doesn't matter because we are talking about a a degree. You can be very bilingual or less bilingual. Again, going back to that initial definition, it counts as being bilingual. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not very bilingual, even though you, you can't measure it, but you are bilingual in a way.
0: And so when parents are talking about, you know, raising their children to be bilingual, should they, I mean, maybe they'll have different ideas about, I want them to read or I want them to speak. Like, what? It, talk about that a little bit about just in your mindset of what that could right. possibly mean.
1: Well, it depends on your, your goal. I do know, like, adults that they can read books in a complete foreign language and they cannot speak a word of it. But they developed that skill because they wanted to read maybe the literature in that foreign language. And with your children, again, you can decide, do I want to educate them so they can read, write, do everything? Or are you, based on what you your needs or what you want for them, maybe to go abroad and talk to the family, the main thing is to speak based on, on what you want for them or, or based on what you think they will need, then you can develop one skill or or another.
0: And I think that should give people a little bit of, they should feel a little bit more relaxed about that because Mm -hmm. there's not this one thing you have to do or you have to make sure they can speak, read, write. And I think that sometimes is intimidating to people because maybe they can't read or write, but they speak perfectly. They just Mm -hmm. don't really know the writing or they can't read as well. So it should give people, I hope, a sense of um, uh, encouragement that there's not one way to define being bilingual. Right. So, on a personal note, why was it important for you to raise your children to be bilingual or in your case that they spoke Spanish in addition to English?
1: I always felt that one of the greatest gifts I could leave them from me would be the the language. And of course, we you know, we can get into the culture that goes into the language and the doors that it may open for you, but a given Given the reality that you know, speaking different languages help and our diverse and world, which is smaller and smaller, I really felt that uh, living them a language would be a great, great
0: gift. That's beautiful. It is a gift, isn't it? It's a gift. I believe so. Yeah. And I feel like that's why you're so passionate about it Like when you speak to other people, because it is something you can give your children. It's not material, but it's like a key to mm-hmm. another world.
1: It cannot hurt to have it. Exactly. That's for sure. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So can you tell us how old are your children and how did you approach teaching them Spanish? And if you could kind of tell us how you feel it's worked so far, like each child, how their language learning is going at this point.
1: Well, I always had it very clear in my mind that I would talk to them only in Spanish. That I knew based on my experiences observing people, what worked, what didn't work. And I always felt that speaking to them consistently, no matter what would be a great way to do it. And also, in terms of their uh, age and abilities or level, what the 18-year-old, I would say he's fluent. And um, I realized years ago he was able, able to develop his, we call it metalinguistic awareness. He, he was able to reflect on how much he knew about the language and how the language itself works and play with that so the 18-year-old is in great shape, I would say. I would have to give him a, a really advanced grammar exam to find little things in there. I mean, he's, he's that good. The 15-year-old, he understands everything I say because, again, I only talk to him in Spanish. I would say he's, he's in good shape, but uh, his grammar is, is a little shakier. Spanish grammar is probably the, the biggest challenge for students. There's a lot of tenses and rules, And, uh, but again, he's getting there. I see his development as a process. So I will continue to talk to him and work, work with him. And, you know, it's getting better and better. And uh, the age year old, just like the two boys, she understands everything I say to her. And I would say she talks to me like in, in Spanglish. She knows she needs to talk to me in Spanish. So whatever she can say in Spanish, she will say it. And those gaps, she will put in the the English words or whatever. But she'll use both. But again, like I have said already, it's a process. I will continue to talk to her, to work with her. And uh, I like the progress she's making and will continue to to do it.
0: And I think that one of the ways that you kind of can test how well your child is doing is when you put them in a situation where other people are speaking to them in that language. And we have seen our three children in Spain right. do really well. And mm-hmm. even if they're speaking Spanglish in the United States or not quite getting the verb tenses correct and things like that, when they're in Spain, it seems it just takes a short amount of time for their language to just go from 50 to 100, right? Or from, not that it's at 50 per se, but the improvement is almost mm. instantaneous, which means it's all in there. And given the opportunity, mm. is incredible. It's right. really, for me, the non-native speaker, I just love to see that my children have this ability. And, and I think that's really where you get to see that, is this working? Because you may think it's not quite working. And wow, it's amazing what's actually in their heads.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there are two things going on for them. One is that a... Uh, they have a strong foundation. So once they go there, they just kind of keep adding to what they know. And uh, also, I have realized even with the little one, the eight-year-old, her Spanish is definitely not perfect. But if they can make themselves understood, even though you know there's mistakes or they're missing a word, as long as they can make, make themselves understood, it's okay. So they continue to communicate and to play and to have fun. Yeah, those are the two things that I think they have going on.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. And I have to say I have to give my husband such a big uh round of applause because when he says that he's been consistent, it's he has not spoken a word of English to our children in the 18 years that we've had children. I thought that he wouldn't be able to do it. Like I mean not because of anything about him, but just because I've seen how hard it is for people Mm -hmm. not to slip into English. And he has never spoken English to them to the point where our older children, the two boys, they didn't know that their father spoke English until they were like at least eight or nine years old, even though Manuel speaks to me in English in front of them. right? I remember they were like, puppy, you speak English. (laughs) It was really funny. I thought they were kidding, but they actually, their brains had Really associated Manuel with Spanish.
1: Yeah, but uh, you know, I also kind of lied to them a little bit. And while they w- were growing up, I-, I would say to them that I it was far easier for me to talk to them in in Spanish. That uh, English is hard for me, and that's why I I would talk to them in Spanish. So I kind of put that idea in their head.
0: Right. But still, they did hear you speak English. I mean, Every day. (laughs) But, I mean, that just speaks to the consistency level, I think, that you really, Mm -hmm. you know, they just associate you with somebody who speaks Spanish, not English, which is really impressive. So um, I wanted to hear from other people because I think it's really important for people to understand that there's not one way to approach bilingual education with your children, that it doesn't always look like one parent speaks Spanish the one language and the other parent speaks the other language. There's a lot of different things you can do from everything in the house, we're only speaking one language and outside of the house we'll speak English. Or, I mean, I've seen people, you know, hire an, a nanny or an au pair to help the children right. learn languages. There's so many ways to do it. So I've asked three different people to share with us their stories. And again, it's a global pandemic, so they've recorded their stories and sent them in. So here we get to hear three different people with three different experiences. First up, we're gonna hear my friend and colleague, Fabienne darling Wolf.
2: My name is Fabienne darling Wolf, and I'm originally from France and my husband, John, is originally from Canada. My native language is French and his native language is English, uh, even though he did take some French in school growing up in Canada. Uh, We have two children, a 20-year-old and a 16-year-old. And as far as the techniques that we used uh, when uh, attempting to raise our children bilingually... We started when they were very small. I uh, spoke to them in French as they were babies. But as they grew a little bit older, uh, we found it increasingly difficult to kind of stick with a program as uh, they started to speak English much more easily than French as they were going to daycare and had interactions with a lot of English uh, speakers. So we decided to put them into a French immersion school which they went to basically from pre-K until 8th grade uh, because we don't have a French-speaking high school uh, here in Philadelphia. Um, how I would describe my children's language ability today, they can function pretty well in French. They don't really have uh, very much of an accent. That can be detected, even though sometimes I think that they're a little bit, uh, have uh, some difficulty sometimes thinking of words when they're talking with their grandparents, for instance. But certainly they function pretty well. Our oldest daughter uh, now lives in Montreal, actually, so she gets to speak French in her daily life as well. So that has helped. Uh, The younger one is still in contact with a lot of French from the French school. So there's also uh, some opportunities there. But I must admit that we very rarely still speak French at home. When we're with each other, uh, we tend to pretty much uh, speaking English unless uh, we're in France, which we do in the summer, uh, in which case there uh, we have a little bit more of a chance to speak French to each other uh, because there's often, more often some French speakers uh, there in the mix.
0: Wow. So thank you so much, Fab, for sharing that story. Manuel, what did you think of Fab's experience?
1: This is a great example of how you can help your children be bilingual in whatever degree that is. And uh, there are many ways to accomplish it, not just one way. And one thing that is really important, which they did, is something doesn't work, you try something new. But Fab and her family, they had in mind uh, their goal. And they needed to adapt and they did it. And this shows that uh, helping your children be bilingual can be accomplished in different ways.
0: And I think that that's such an important message, right? That if something's not working, doesn't mean, eh, let's just throw the whole thing away. Never mind, we're just gonna give up.
1: Right, correct. And I also, if we look around, we realize we have resources. And I think that's what Fab did. She was like, okay, we're not speaking fresh at home what can I do? And around her, you know, there was a school and she used that resource, which is a great resource to do.
0: Excellent. And now let's listen to this next woman because she also found some challenges and decided to do something differently as well. Next, we're going to hear from Virginia Duan. Virginia is actually someone who creates a lot of great resources for anyone who wants to teach their children Mandarin Chinese. She's actually the author of a book called so you want your kid to learn Chinese. Great title, Virginia. <laughs> she also has a YouTube channel where she reads books in Mandarin to children. So I'll have all of her links for her resources in the show notes page. So if you are interested or are currently working on teaching your children Mandarin Chinese, definitely check out her website, mandarinmama.com. And again, I'll have all those links on the in the show notes. But for now, let's listen to her
3: story. Hi, my name is Virginia Duan, and I and from the bay area, california. my husband is originally from la, but he has moved to the bay area to be with me. my native language is i guess mandarin and english, and my husband's native language is english. i have four children. they are 10, 8, 6 and 3. I've tried to raise them bilingually using the OPAL method, which is the one parent, one language, since my husband can only speak English. So for the first few years of my older children's lives, we only spoke Chinese. As my kids have grown older, they have spoken more and more English because the things that they consume is more and more English related. I homeschool my children in Chinese and The reason why I chose that was because I didn't want them to lose their language when they started school, which is totally understandable because school is in English 90% of the time. My children's language abilities depend on their age. My oldest two have the best Chinese because I spent the most time creating what my friend Oliver calls a Chinese language environment where everything we consumed, anything we listened to, watched, or read was in Chinese. So my oldest two, I would say that they are almost literate in Chinese and they can speak it, they can read it, they can write it. My six-year-old it's okay. He's not too bad, but his Chinese comprehension is definitely less than the older two. And my youngest, who is three, because his siblings speak to him nonstop in English, and I've also kind of given up, his Chinese is very minimal. He can understand basic things, but he can't really speak it, and he tries, and when he tries to speak it, he sounds like American speaking Chinese. Whereas my oldest two don't. They sound almost Native
0: Thank you so much, Virginia. I love your story. And wow, kudos to you for homeschooling your children in Mandarin Chinese. I think all of us now who are forced to be homeschoolers can truly appreciate how much work that must be on top of the language, just, you know, homeschooling your children in general. But that sounds really exciting and really interesting. Manuel, what did you think about her story?
1: I mean, first of all, what Virginia has done is impressive. Homeschooling children, it is truly impressive this is another great example of how can you help your children become bilingual in a different way and homeschooling. This is another example, a different example. And also my first reaction when I heard her story would be like we have said already, look at the resources that you have. And I I would suggest to Virginia, look, you have two children who are very comfortable with Chinese Use them as your resources. Praise them for what they have and uh, try to encourage them to help you with little words, little questions with a little one. Mm. And bring them along and be, hey, don't you want little, you know, little brother to be like you? Look, you speak Chinese, you understand. I mean, that's really awesome. Wouldn't you like him to be like you? Why don't you help me? Try to bring him along and see how that works. And again, slowly, you know, keep keeping with little sentences or... Uh, word here and there. And start from, go from there and see how that goes.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Encourage those older brothers to be little mini teachers. Yeah, yeah. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Hey, Virginia, if you haven't thought about that yet, maybe try that. That's great. So the third person we're going to hear from, um, her name is Tamari Jenkins. And she actually is not a native speaker, but she is teaching her children Spanish. So this is a really good story to hear from also, because I think a lot of people believe that if they don't speak the language, that they can't raise their children bilingually. Before we hear Tamari's story, Manuel, what do you think about non-native speakers attempting to raise their children bilingually? Is that a no-no? Is that okay? What do you think?
1: Well, I have friends who are doing it. And if anybody's wondering, I would say, please do it. Because no matter if you don't feel like you're a perfect speaker of the second language, it doesn't matter. You will leave your children with a lot of language. They will process it and they will have a great foundation. If they want to expand on it or if they can, you are giving them a great foundation for that second language. So please do it.
0: Excellent. I told you he was passionate and encouraging. This man should be a
4: coach for bilingual parents. Hey. Hey, hey.
0: (laughs) So let's hear from Tamarie.
4: Hello, my name is Tamari Jenkins, and my husband and I, we are from California. Our native language is English, and I suppose you could say we are also fairly versed in African American vernacular English, since that is our ethnic background. We have two children, ages 14 and 7, a boy and a girl. And as far as techniques used to raise them bilingually... It was important to us, especially to me, to have children who were fluent in Spanish because I'm also fluent in Spanish. I started studying it in high school around 11th grade and then continued in college, graduate school, and actually I have a master's degree in Spanish and now teach Spanish at a community college. But that being said, I didn't feel like I alone could raise my children to be bilingual. I knew that I would need support doing that. So I made the decision to enroll my son in an it was a preschool and after school language enrichment program. And so he did that for about 2 to 3 years starting around age 4. And you know, it was only for like an hour after school once or twice a week. So it wasn't a lot of exposure, but He did well with it until he went to school. And then once he got into kindergarten and first grade, all of the emphasis switched to English and it became a bit of a struggle with him. So with my daughter, since she came so much later, I wanted to do things differently. So I researched it and I made the decision to enroll her in a dual language immersion elementary school. And so she's been there through kindergarten. She's now in the first grade or finishing up with first grade. And all the instruction is predominantly in Spanish. And then I'm able to support her with her schoolwork at home. And so that has worked for us. In addition, I require her to watch her shows in Spanish at home, especially during the week. We try to only do English shows on the weekends. And that has really helped. As far as language ability, my son sadly has very little, but my daughter is doing great. She has a decent vocabulary and a wonderful accent. I absolutely love listening to her speak and roll her R's. And um, yeah, so that's what's worked for us.
0: Thank you so much, Tamari. It's so great to hear your story. I have to say we've been friends on Facebook for a really long time and it's great to hear your voice in real life. And what a nice story to hear. Manuel, what did you think? What's your takeaway from Tamari's story?
1: I love her story. And uh, she's doing a great job using resources to help her children, you know, being bilingual. And I would say, um, I wanted to repeat again that I have friends who are not Spanish speakers. Not native? non native, thank you. And uh, I wanted to mention that I've spoken to some of these children. And it, it is truly impressive because... They understand me with no problem, and also based on their age. You know, When they talk to me, they talk to me in different levels of fluency, let's say. But uh, just think about the, the head start that these children have with a second language. I mean, these parents are giving these children a great, great head start.
0: Exactly, exactly. And I think we saw with all three women who shared their stories, exactly what you were talking about when you mentioned with Fab is that they didn't give up. They looked at the resources. Mm-hmm. Tamari also said, Oh, this didn't work. Exactly. And she didn't give up. She exactly. didn't say, well, that was a failed attempt. I'm not going to try with my daughter. It didn't work with that my was son. What
1: she did. Uh-huh. She
0: said, well, I'm, let me try something else. I guess exactly. we need more than an after-school program. Mm-hmm. And she found an immersion school. Exactly. Um, Virginia said, oof, sending him to school is not going to work. I'm going to homeschool. Mm. <laughs> Hey, Melting Pot community! Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Booklandia. Booklandia specializes in Spanish and bilingual books for kids and teens. They offer subscription boxes, book sets, and book fairs for schools. It's a great resource for anyone trying to raise their kids bilingually in Spanish. Booklandia was established in 2016 in Oakland, California, and was founded by Maceo Cabrera Esteves. She's a bilingual homeschooling mommy and child of Cuban immigrants. And like many parents trying to raise her children bilingually, Maceo got tired of trying to find good books for her kids in Spanish, particularly those that were written by native Spanish speakers instead of just the standard translations of American books. So she started Booklandia to fill that void. Booklandia now offers a diverse selection of board books, picture books, and chapter books written by authors from all over the Spanish-speaking world. But it's more than just an online bookstore or subscription service. Booklandia also assists families and schools in building inclusive and representative libraries. You know, that's my kind of company. So their vision is for every child to have their own personal library to better know themselves and the world. Booklandia also has a heart. Booklandia gives 1% of their sales to deserving organizations. From now until the end of the year, donations are going to food banks in Oakland, California, New York City, and Houston. To learn more about Booklandia, to see their wonderfully diverse selection of books, follow them on social media at Booklandia Box. Or go to their website at booklandiabox.com. And there's something special for you guys, Melting Pot listeners. Maceo is giving our listeners a special offer. If you use code MYAMERICANMELTINGPOT, you'll get $5 off your first order. Just remember to put MYAMERICANMELTINGPOT in the box for promo code, and you'll get $5 off your first order. And remember, that's at booklandiabox.com. Again, booklandiabox.com. Please give them a look. Now, let's get back to our conversation. So let's talk about what are the design, kind of, no matter what approach you take, what are the kind of pillars of your beliefs of what's going to make you successful?
1: Well, a big pillar of this enterprise would be what these parents are doing and they're doing so well. You start and the same thing is not working, you adapt and you keep trying, so This pillar of adapt to whatever the situation is, is a key thing. And these three examples are great examples of that. I would say that another really important thing is not to turn it into a negative experience. Mm. Don't turn it into a fight or it's not something that you're imposing on them. And I think these three examples also reflect that. I'm not hearing any case of children not wanting to do it. These parents have found a way to keep it as a as a positive experience, and that's really key because then you you don't want your children rejecting it or, or having negative thoughts about it.
0: And I know I know consistency is we we spoke about that before with your situation, but talk about the difference between being people might be confused between saying you must be consistent and then also be adaptable. Because it sounds like in some ways you could say, well, you know, some parents weren't being consistent because they they gave up speaking in the house and, and sent their kids to school. Talk about the difference between, you know, not right. giving up but also being consistent. What, How do you well, navigate I, that?
1: You said it. I would, I would say consistent in not giving up.
0: Okay. It doesn't okay. have
1: to be consistent talking to them. Look at FAB. You know, for whatever reason, they decided it was better to stop speaking French at home. But they find us cool. So to me, that is consistency in not giving up.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it has worked, worked very well for them. Mm-hmm. So good mm-hmm. for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Good, good. Now, I wonder if you could talk about, in, in this idea about consistency, because you have been consistent. And not, this this is no shame against anybody who's saying it's too hard, because we do hear that. And I would like you to help some people, though, maybe give them some of your thought process, your I don't know if it's not a technique, but because it is hard, but you've been doing it it for 18 years. Can you maybe give us a little sense of what goes on in your brain to keep you being Mm -hmm. able to speak only Spanish when we all know you speak English really well now? So what's been your mantra? What keeps you going?
1: Uh, Well, my, like, let's say personal method from day one was to obviously speak only in Spanish to the children and then if if they would mix up English and Spanish, we, which I knew it would happen, you know, I would say what oh, in Spanish, okay? Oh, I don't understand. Or I, if they said something like in English back to me, I would repeat them in Spanish. So this is how you say it. And again, never turning it into a fight, but more like let let me help you. And I consistently did that. I always spoke to them in in Spanish, and every time they would respond to me in, in English or in a mix, I would let him know that, okay, let me help you because I want Spanish from you. But without, like I said, without turning it into a fight.
0: Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm.
1: that was the, that's what I consistently
0: did with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that you were really good about not, like, I never hear you correcting them mm-hmm. or like saying like, that's not right. Or do it this way. I feel like you kind of, like you just said, you you just Repeat what it should sound like instead of saying, like, that's wrong. Right, right, or I would do it say, again.
1: Que, so i give him an, another chance to say it in Spanish. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, I, I just help him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, what I never do is, like, a correct all the time. Because then the, I don't want to overwhelm them or make them feel like they're failing through nitpicking and correcting every single thing. Here and there, I will correct a pattern. If I see a pattern, I will mention, oh, this is how you say this. But uh, corrections are very rare.
4: Mm-hmm. I,
1: I prefer to let them speak freely.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, because this is a process and they're learning. Whatever I have seen how they will say something and over time it gets corrected. So to me, it's more important to keep talking to them and to have them speak back to me.
0: Yeah, that's really important. Because when I think about it, I don't correct... well. Once in a while, if they keep continuously are using some word in English incorrectly, I may correct them. But I don't correct them. I don't walk around correcting their grammar and things like that. So I guess it, it does make sense. Why would you correct their Spanish? Because really you want them to feel comfortable.
1: And it's a long process. Yeah. So that's what I keep in mind. I know at some point this is gonna get corrected. And it's more important that we to me, that we keep interacting.
0: Right, right. And I think that's, you know, I think I heard you say at some point that this is a marathon, not a... Exactly. And that if you think about it that way, it's not like they have to be able to, you know, deliver the Gettysburg Address in Spanish Mm -hmm. tomorrow, right?
1: I do not have a specific date in my mind. By this time, they have to be perfectly bilingual. I don't think that way. This is a lifelong process. Mm -hmm. So we'll continue to talk and to work and I'm loving it.
0: Excellent. Let's talk about some of the other kind of things that can help our children. Is there any kinds of um, tools, supplements, things that other people can use, you know, that can help? Because, again, there might be people listening who are pregnant right now and and are getting ready to start this journey or this process. Or, you know, people who are, you know, later on, whatever. But what kind of things do you use to Mm -hmm. help support language learning in the house?
1: Rather than us, because, we know, we are a resource, I would say it. The internet is a great resource. There's so much out there. Tutorials, uh, grammar explanation, air exercises, free quizzes. I have seen a ton of them.
0: Mm-hmm. And well, of course, um, Manuel's going to give me some of these that he likes, and I'll put them in the show notes for anybody right. who wants to find them.
1: I'll be happy to provide specific information. Uh, we have the internet. Movies are a great uh, resource. And uh, I think your friend Tamari, she's doing it, and that's great. Uh, with Movies Now, you can change the the language.
0: And when you say, when he's saying movies, we mean, obviously, especially with the lockdown lifestyle, like either renting movies or right. your streaming services. Exactly. On Netflix, with movies, mm-hmm. you can actually, anything you're watching, you can actually go into the settings mode. There's like 20 different, more than 20 different languages. So if whatever, you know, the target language you're working on, you can have your kid watch their favorite show in the target language and that you know you were saying that that was a um even if they've seen the, in fact it's probably better if they've seen the episode a million times exactly, already, because, because they know what's going on exactly. so they're going to be able to follow the story not exactly. get frustrated pick up new vocabulary
1: knowing the context helps you understand what's going on because you expect certain words so mentally it puts you in a better place and also you can add subtitles so visually, you have the words.
0: And you're saying the subtitles in the target language, not in English. We're not giving right, right, an right, easy right, thing. Right. You're saying that adds another layer of learning.
1: And yes, exactly. -hmm.
0: That's excellent. Okay. So we can, you know, check the internet for things like quizzes or grammar lessons, especially if you're not so clear on the grammar, you might be able to find some lessons. Tutorials, Um, tutorials, Mm -hmm.
1: many things. You've got
0: movies, um, movies or TV shows, whatever, all of that that's available Mm -hmm. on the streaming services. Or if you still are like us, we still have DVDs in our house and a lot of those DVDs also you can watch Mm -hmm. them in multiple languages. So if there's a a DVD your kid loves, even my kid, (laughs) our kid. (laughs) <laughs> right. Mentioned that you can watch a lot of the video games have oh yeah. language you can mm. switch the languages exactly. in the video games exactly. even. So again, it's not a fight. If you, you want to watch
1: exposed to the language in many different ways.
0: Yeah, and they what their their our kids are online and doing digital a lot right now because of our lockdown lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But hey, you can, I'm not sure Fortnite you can play in another language, but I'm pretty sure you can. Whatever your kids are playing with online, Mm -hmm. if there's a large possibility that there's a version in a different language. Okay, so we've got videos, movies, internet, Mm -hmm. all types of resources there. Anything else that you would recommend? To me, an
1: obvious one is music. People love music and uh, I am an example of learning plenty of English through music.
0: How do you and, do that? Tell us more You know, singing,
1: uh, reading the lyrics, singing along, and you know, when you have a you have words with with a melody, you memorize them better and, and longer. Mm. That's why you remember these songs with lyrics because you have the melody attached to the words. So uh, music has always worked mm. for people. So and again, I'm,
0: thanks to the internet, you can get the lyrics. Again, you may not any know lyrics the lyrics. Is there? Any you lyrics? You may not know the lyrics mm. in Spanish, in Chinese, whatever. You may not know them perfectly, but you can just. Find them, and mm-hmm. you and your kids can sing together yeah. if your kids are younger. But even if you're, if you got teens, exactly. find their pop, their mm-hmm. some good music for them.
1: Mm-hmm. And also, I would say also if you look at your community, museums, libraries with books, just look around. But there might be a club, something that you know you might not know about, and that could help your children and, and you also to be exposed to the language in, in some way.
0: Yeah, and once we're able to leave the house again, you know, the world is wide open, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, it's hard to, like, to do this outdoors right now because we're not able to. But I know even um, when we lived in New York, I remember taking the kids to different grocery stores in Hispanic or Latino neighborhoods, right, right. and you know, not only are you obviously going to be hearing other people speaking the language, but you know, the signage is written in a different language. Even the foods um, that you would see in these different groceries were different than the grocery stores that maybe right. we had been used to going to. So it's a whole, it's a whole experience. It's a whole lesson just going to the grocery store. Right.
1: And anything helps, and anything reinforces the language.
0: Right. And I think, um, talk a little bit about this idea where you said, um, you've told me this in the past, that language should mean something more than just talking to mom and dad. So if you can have lessons like going to the grocery store or other things, it's important for the child to see that it's not just about right communicating with mom and dad.
1: I, I think it helps for the children to see that language has a purpose. We use language basically to communicate. And it is really helpful to have your children see that, you know, they can do more than talking to you, which in itself is valuable. But again, you can go somewhere, buy things, you can travel, understand, talk to other people. Once there's a a, a purpose and a utility to to what you can do with the language, it gives a a different dimension and they they see the purpose of speaking that language.
0: Another question that people have is, is it ever too late to start raising my child or to, you know, start exposing them to this second language? I know I hear a lot of people say, oh, I want it to, but my child is, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever it is. It's too late. Do you believe that there is it's ever too late? Oh, not at all.
1: No, 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 no.
0: Do tell, Manuel. Tell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Again, uh, if you start from day one, great. Uh, If for some reason you haven't and maybe your child could be or children could be three five seven different ages it's okay if you haven't started from day one i would say don't go all in because it could be a shock and we don't want that but uh, you can start with like small words small sentences little questions that are familiar how are you do you want this or you start mentioning the fruit or do you like it small interactions and uh Go from there and stay like that for a while. And then as you as you see how your children respond and they and they start understanding, build up on that slowly. You don't want to necessarily shock your children, but you can start small and go from there.
0: So it's never it's never but oh, I
1: no, never heard, too late. Never, but I've no, heard no, no, so no. many people say no, no. that
0: if you if your kid doesn't start speaking the language by seven, then no. it's over. They're never gonna no, pick no, up no, the no. language. That's, that's
1: a not, great age. No, no. Any that, age is good.
0: Really? Like, when, where does that, that... That, But haven't you heard that where people say, oh, well, if you haven't started the language at I such have, and such I age... I have heard a
1: million things. <laughs> <laughs> no, at, at that age, when they are young, they're sponges. And in fact, little babies don't have great memories, but they're exposed every day, you know, for so long that they end up remembering because they, you have talked to them like a million times. But... uh any young age is great. They're sponges; they have great brains for the language. Please do not think that age is a problem. I encourage everybody to get started as soon as possible. But again, start small and go from there.
0: And I think that probably a lot of parents would think, "Well, I can't because I'm, um, you know, they're already seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. I can't start. They're too old." But really, they might be actually saying, "I'm too old. Like I'm afraid. I don't think I can do it." But if you're saying you can start with just One sentence, or maybe the fruit that it's also slow starting for parents, too. You don't have to be diving in with fluency yourself right from the beginning.
1: Right. And I have said that because once you establish the language of communication, that is hard to break. And when you have spoken to your children for several years, you know, a certain language, it's a big shock to all of a sudden start with a new language. So that's why you want to get. Get him used to little interactions, Mm -hmm. and that's a great way, I believe, to start something new. Mm
0: -hmm. And and you can also start again. You could start reading, and we didn't really say books as a option for helping, but books obviously would be, I think, the most clearly things to do. But. Even just starting, if you're starting from scratch, starting with a book, right? And it could be a familiar book. And there's a lot of books that are bilingual Mm -hmm. so that you see both languages on the page. Right, right. There's a lot of ways to ease into it.
1: Yeah, that is key ease into it.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's like, I think that what I really want people to come away from this is to believe that if you didn't start when your baby came out of the womb, it's not too late. It is
1: never too late. There's no question about it.
0: Yeah, because like you said before, you're still giving them something, right? You're still giving them a foundation or a head start that they will thank you for. It's a gift that I feel, how many times have we heard people say, I'm so mad at my parents, like adult friends who said, mm-hmm. I'm so mad at my parents because they didn't teach me their I language. know so
1: many cases like that. Yeah. And once you have started, you know, a few years later, you could look back and be like, oh, I am so glad I, I started. Maybe my child was five, seven or 10, but one day you would look back And you can feel great about what you have done for your child.
0: Exactly. And like a little twist on that, Mm -hmm. I have definitely heard people say, well, I started, like, look at, let's look at Fab's example, Mm -hmm. where they'll say, I started, it was really great, but then we kind of fell off and then we just didn't continue. Mm -hmm. Is there any problem with starting up again? Like if you started and then stopped and it's been a few years, you're like, because I've heard a lot of people say that too, like, oh, I was doing it, but then we stopped. Any problem with saying, eh, start again?
1: No, no, nothing wrong with starting and trying again. You have nothing to lose and plenty to gain.
0: Yeah. And again, I hope people are hearing that message because, again, I have, I can't even tell you how many people who I've spoken to who said, we started, but it was hard and we gave up. But I really wish, guess what? You, you can start again. There's nothing that says.
1: Mm-hmm. And maybe later on, I'm sorry, like a few years later, your child might be in a better place to start. And yeah. Yeah. And why not?
0: Right. I mean, I think we look at language learning as if it's somehow super different than anything else. Because I know, like, um, Aida, our daughter, she's eight. We put her in karate when she was three because her brothers were doing it and she was at the studio all the time. And she didn't like it. Well, she didn't, it wasn't that she didn't like it. She was just not very good at following directions. So she really wasn't very good at it. She didn't find a lot of joy in it. And so she quit. We were like, eh, why bother? But when she was five, Two years later, we tried again. And guess what? She was excellent at it. She had more coordination. You know, she could follow directions. She could listen better. I mean, there are so many examples of stopping and starting that we do with our kids. I think everybody could probably think of something that their kids started at one stage, they didn't like it, and then they came back to it later in life. Language learning shouldn't be any different. I think there's a lot of misconceptions that you can't learn a language after a certain age. And that's that's just not true, is it?
1: Not at all. What is proven is that uh, after a certain age, you may develop an accent, like it happened to me, like uh, you start later, and then, you know, you sound like you're not a native. But beyond the accent, nothing's stopping you from learning. And actually, the older you are, the the more you can reflect on the language and figure out how it works and use it to your advantage. Oh, wow. So, you know, okay, you may develop an accent, but uh, you can be fluent and communicate with no problem. So any age is great.
0: That's really helpful to know. Thank you for sharing that. So the last question I want to ask you is just this idea of um, that can come up, which is sometimes children do seem resistant to speaking the language when they're not in the house. And I think it really comes around like peer pressure or just not wanting to seem different. And it usually comes up at around the same time. I think that kids are feeling kind of that same embarrassment that they feel when, you know, all of a sudden they realize that their parents are, <clears throat> I don't know, embarrassing, right, and they don't right. want to be mm-hmm. seen with them, or they don't want to dress a certain way because they look different than their peers. But mm-hmm. it's definitely something that we've seen just within our own friends and things like that. And we've read about it as well. What would you say to parents who maybe are encountering a child who is like resistant to speak their language outside of the house because they say it's embarrassing?
1: I would say if that is the case, keep it simple. If you're going to maybe their friend's house and pick them up and they might feel a little awkward talking to you in the second language in front of them, just keep it simple. Hey, let's go. Get your coat. Come on. And that's it. And if they still express some embarrassment or they're bothered, talk to them. Like, hey, what's wrong? What is going on?
0: Yeah, I think it's really important for people to realize that that's kind of normal Adolescent behavior mm-hmm. to feel embarrassment or maybe pre adolescence even, and not to take it necessarily super like it's a big problem. Right. Um, but again, I think obviously yeah, the conversation is probably the best mm-hmm. thing and to see do. What's going on? See what's what's underlying
1: that embarrassment? Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And and a lot of times they just grow out of it. You know, they grow out of it. It's a phase. Like they oh, grow yeah. out of a lot of things. Of course. I don't think our kids were ever. I don't remember them ever feeling any kind of embarrassment or shame, but I do remember at a certain point um, when they were early teens, being actually pretty proud that they could speak another language when you would come around. um,
1: Yeah, they realized that people wouldn't understand them, so they were happy to be able to (laughs) to talk to me in Spanish in front of them.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it gave them a real sense of pride. So I think that, I mean, every kid is different, obviously, but I do think that it's normal. Because of the country we live in that is just steeped in racism and xenophobia, there's a long history of people being told, don't speak your language out in public. I mean, everything, I mean, just all types of immigrants who've come to this country have been told, assimilate. And even today, right, we have, there are literally people who are still putting signs up in their window, speak English or you won't get served. So it's understandable that a child might feel awkward or embarrassed in public speaking a different language than the mainstream society. So definitely have those conversations. Definitely. You know, Talk to your child because what they might be feeling is a result of, hey, look who's in the White House right now, making people feel badly about being different. But don't let that stop you from giving your kid this gift, like you said. Don't let that stop you from sharing your culture and this connection to your home country or to the country that you're trying to make that connection with your child for. So I think that uh, if you had some parting words, Mr. Bilingual Coach, (laughs) if you had some parting words for parents, what would you tell them? What do you want to leave them with? What message would you want to leave them with as they're approaching this journey?
1: I would say stay consistent, not giving up. Keep it positive. Don't turn into a fight and any age any time is good to start if you you haven't started so go for it
0: Awesome. Okay, you heard that, Melting Pot community. Go for it. And um, I don't think I have anything else to add to that, except that your children will thank you. I know that they will thank you, and they might not thank you today or but tomorrow. Eventually they will. They eventually will No thank question you. about it. Absolutely, absolutely. It is, as Manuel said in the beginning, it is a gift that you're giving them. So thank you, Manuel Malia, for joining me today on The Melting Pot. My pleasure. Will you come back some other time? If you invite me. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you for listening, Melting Pot Community. And a special thank you to my virtual guests, Fabian Darling-Wolf, Virginia Duan, and Tamari Jenkins. I appreciate you sharing your experiences with the Melting Pot Community. If you guys enjoyed today's episode and found it valuable in some way, please take a moment to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts those ratings and reviews really do help other people find the show. And if your thumbs are just too tired to give me a five-star rating, let your tongue do the talking and just tell someone about the show. Now that we're in the middle of a global pandemic, sharing really is caring. Consider sharing this podcast not only as a favor to me, but also to those folks who are desperately looking for more content to consume while they're locked up in their house, social distancing, and looking for new sources of inspiration and information. And just a reminder, Melting Pot community, you can find the show notes for today's episode on the My American Melting Pot blog, including the links to today's sponsor, Booklandia. Just visit myamericanmeltingpot.com. I also post fresh content on the blog every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So if you're looking for inspiration and information about living a multicultural lifestyle, please check it out. You'll also find links on the blog for all of the Melting Pot social handles, where I post something colorful almost every day of the week. My American Melting Pot is produced by me, Lori L. Tharps. Our editor and technical director is Brad Linder. Our theme music was composed by Sumi Tanoka. Thank you, Melting Pot community, for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. Please take good care of yourselves and be well. And always remember to live your life in color.